0: Genesis chapter 38. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hera. There, Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. Er. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son, and named him Shelah. It was at Kesib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to avoid providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shuah, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men who were shearing his sheep and his friend Hirah the Adullamite went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought, She was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter in law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you? she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? she asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. And she left. She took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Enaim?" There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did send this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution." And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her my son Shailar. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And as she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread, tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out. And she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and he was named Zera. Thanks so much, Sam. Um,
1: again, uh, wonderful we've got some students visiting today. We, we kind of plugged today. You know, if you're a student, you want to check out Redeemer, see what we're about, c- come today. Well... Um, <laughs> There's a story to get your head round. You've got a Bible reading about prostitutes and incest and aborted sex. In hindsight, probably should have thought the uh, preaching schedule through a little bit um, so we didn't land on on this particular sermon for you. But there is something that you're finding out about Redeemer. We we teach the Bible as it comes. Uh, We are not ashamed of God's word. Uh, We believe that everything is fruitful and useful. And so this morning, um, my prayer is that you will discover the wonders of our God, even from a passage like this. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would be present and among us and at work within our hearts this morning. May the words that I preach not just be heard as my words, but as they are faithful, may they be heard as the very words of you, the very words of Christ. And may your Spirit move us to wonder and worship and works, good works that bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I think one of perhaps the most painful things as a pastor, um, being part of a church, is is seeing people who kind of walk away from the faith. They walk away from church, they walk away from Jesus. And even in the short time that we've been going as a church, even the last four or so years, that's happened here at Redeemer. People who uh, come to faith and they seem so excited, so engaged, they throw themselves on all the rotors, they're here every Sunday, they're singing. And then something happens, and slowly they stop coming. They stop replying to your messages, and they've gone. They've walked away. And it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. Something similar is happening to Judah, the older brother of Joseph. Chapter 38, verse 1, if you've got a Bible, it would be so useful to have it open in front of you. We read, at that time, Judah left his brothers, At that time. What time? Well, the time just after Judah and his brothers had sold Joseph into slavery. That was last week. At that time, Judah walks away from his family. Now, this family is unique because it is the family that in the Old Testament the Lord has attached himself to. The Lord has made promises to this family to save the world through them, through their offspring. To bring life and hope and mercy and meaning, to bring himself to the world through this family. You have to be connected to this family. And so when Judah walks away, he is not just walking away from his brothers, he is walking away from his God. Was it guilt? Was it shame? Judah, as Sam said, was the one who led his brothers in their plot to kidnap Joseph. Judah was the one who negotiated the sale of Joseph into slavery. Was it guilt? Was Judah running away from the mess? I get that. I think we all would understand that, wouldn't we? When you're a parent, there's an important thing you need to learn. Make sure you tidy up as you go when the kids are young, or even our kids, they're like little whirlwinds as they go through the house, and they kind of leave a strewn of mess everywhere. Toys, clothes, craft stuff, odd random objects that you didn't even know they had. And the thing is, if you don't tidy as you go, it'll get to the point where the mess is so ridiculous that you'll just look at each other as parents and say, should we just move, (laughs) should we just leave? Life can feel like that sometimes. When we've made such a mess, that we just want to run away. But whether it was guilt or shame or disillusionment, Judah walks away from his family and from his God. Now maybe that is how you feel this morning. Whether it's guilt, whether it's disillusionment, you feel like walking away. You feel like checking out from the whole Christian thing. Some of you just turned up to university. These first few weeks could be make or break for you in terms of your Christian faith. What are you going to do? You're going to keep walking with Jesus? You're going to walk away? Look over the next twenty minutes. That's probably a bit optimistic, but we'll say twenty minutes. You're going to see the beauty, the power, the majesty, the mercy, and the love of our Lord. And I guarantee that if you walk away from this. Whatever you embrace will be less. It'll be infinitely less. Let's have a look. Last week, we saw that the story was not over for the innocent sufferer, Joseph. This week, we're going to see that the story is not over for the worst of sinners, Judah. First up, story is not over for the worst of sinners, Have a look down at verse one. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hirah. Now, when Judah leaves his brothers, he goes down. Now, sure, that's talking about his travel. But going down points to another journey that Judah is on. He is spiraling downwards in all kinds of ways. Because when he left and walked away from his family and his God, he embraced something else. Have a at verse two. Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. Now, the way that's written, it's all pretty quick, isn't it? Uh, for us, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to marriage, we like to take our time, like to think it all through, a bit of marriage prep maybe. But here it's very, very quick. And the other thing is, hidden in our English translation are two words that describe the way Judah went about finding his wife. It literally says that Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite and took her. Those two words are used to describe the one action that led to the downfall of the entire human race. Do you remember when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they are told by God, do not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 3 says, Eve saw that fruit and took that fruit. The same two words, saw and took. So just as the Lord said to Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit from this tree. So he has said time and time and time and time again to his people, do not marry people from the land of Canaan. But like Adam and Eve, Judah sees and Judah takes what the Lord has forbidden. Judah is walking away from his God and he is embracing a new life, a way of life that the Lord has forbidden. So he marries and he has three children. We have that saying, um, don't we? You know, Like father, like son. Well, as you look at Judah's children, sons, you get another insight into Judah's heart. Verse six, Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. So Ur is Judah's firstborn. He's the one who Judah should have given most time to, most attention to, because Ur would would take on the responsibility of, of looking after the whole family one day. And what is the firstborn of Judah known for? Being wicked. In fact, so wicked that the Lord has to just take him off planet Earth. That is damning, isn't it? I mean, it's damning on her. But just as damning on Judah, what was he teaching him? And then it gets worse. We'll come back to this later. But his second son fails to do the right thing by Tamar. Onan takes advantage of Tamar, his brother's wife. He uses her for his own pleasure. And he too is struck down by the Lord. Two sons, both so wicked that the Lord has to take them off planet earth. And Judah's response? Maybe a little bit of remorse. Maybe a bit of kind of introspection. Maybe, you know, could have done a little bit better job as a dad. No. He blames Tamar. He sends her away, promising to give her his third son, but he never will do that. End of verse 11. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. He thinks Tamar is the reason that his sons are dead. He blames her, and he effectively locks her up in her father's house so that she can get nowhere near his third son. You see, Judah went down. He married someone God had forbidden. He discipled his children in such a way that they're so wicked that the Lord has to strike them down. Rather than take responsibility, he blames Tamar. Do you know what? He's not even reached the bottom yet in verse 12 his wife dies how does he deal with that grief he wanders the streets looking for a prostitute and still judah spirals down further not realizing that he has slept with his daughter-in-law he hears that she is pregnant outside of marriage and instead of thinking ah that's a little bit like me, isn't it, actually? I've slept with someone outside of marriage. No, he is outraged, verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. Guilty people often do that kind of thing, don't they? To distract from their own corruption They overreact to other people's failings. Judah went down. He spiraled down and down and down. You know, I think if we were God, we would probably say to Judah at this point, the story is now over for you. You will go the way of your sons. But... As the Joseph story shows us, the one true God, the living God, he is the kind of God who can turn evil, even the evil of the cesspit that is Judah's heart. He can turn evil to good. The kind of God who is willing to show mercy even to the worst of sinners. Before Judah slept with Tamar, she was clever. She demanded that Judah leave something that would identify him. Verse 17, will you give me something as a pledge until you send me payment, she asked. He said, what shall I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant. She asked Judah for three things that would identify him. It's like asking Judah to leave his wallet, his his mobile phone, and his driving license. And at that moment, Tamar is about to be burned to death. Verse 25, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the one who owns these. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. It's fantastic, isn't it? Tamar is brilliant. And Judah has nowhere to hide. And he looks down at these things, and I think for the first time he sees himself as he really is. Verse 26 Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I am. I would not give her my son Shalah. She is more righteous than I, or literally, she is righteous. I am not. And in those words, perhaps for the first time in his life, Judah acknowledges his sin. And I don't think he's only got Tamar in mind right now. You know, the question, that what he's just done with his daughter-in-law, slept with her and made her pregnant. I don't think he's only got that in his mind. The question that Tamar asks, do you recognize these things? A question's been asked before already. It's exactly the question Judah asked his father Jacob when he showed Jacob the bloodied and ripped cloak of Joseph. Do you remember? Judah tried to trick his father Jacob into thinking that Joseph was dead, and he handed over the bloodied coat and he said, Father, do you recognize this? Judah, do you recognize this seal, this cord, and this staff? See, for Judah, it's not just what's happened with Tamar. It is what's happened with Joseph as well. And it hits Judah. She is righteous. I am not righteous. This is the moment that he is confronted with the cesspit of his life, the cesspit of his heart. It's the moment that he has to own up. This mess is all my fault. My father grieving because he thinks his son is dead. That is my fault. My brother enslaved in Egypt. My two sons, wicked and now dead. My daughter-in-law forced to trick me into sleeping with her. This is my fault. She is righteous. I am not. If you are spiraling down, even now, if your life is becoming a sinful mess, this is how it stops. You confess your sin. You take responsibility for it. This mess, it is me. This marriage full of tension, full of deceit and lies, it's me. This house, always arguing with housemates, it's me. It's me this mess of life, it is me. That is how you stop spiraling down. And once it's stopped, it can be turned around. After his confession, the Lord transforms Judah. The Lord changes his heart. We're jumping on, but later in the Joseph story, it is Judah who negotiates with Joseph and ensures that his family can survive during the famine. In fact, it's even Judah who offers up his own life to protect the rest of his family. The complete opposite of what he did in chapter 37. And the Lord changes Judah's status. He changes his heart and he changes Judah's status. Instead of becoming like his first two sons, wicked and forgotten, Judah becomes the tribe of kings. It is through the line of Judah, those two boys that are born at the end, it is through the line of Judah that Jesus comes. And the Lord even gives Judah one of the greatest honors. In the book of Revelation, Jesus takes Judah's name. He is known as the Lion Of Judah. You see, when your God is the kind of God who turns evil to good, it means that the story isn't over, even for the worst of sinners. We need to know this. We need to believe this. Either right now, because your life feels like it's hit rock bottom, like Judah, you've been spiraling down, or if not right now, then one day your life may take a similar course in ways that you cannot even imagine. And on that day, you need to believe this. Your story doesn't have to be over. Confess. Start with these words. Jesus is righteous, I am not. Take responsibility for your life, for your sin, for the cesspit that is your heart turn to the Lord and you will find this kind of response. He will show mercy. He will restore you because he is the kind of God who can turn evil to good. Even the darkest heart can be forgiven and turned into the most glorious light. One day you might find yourself in dark and twisted mess of your own making. Do not walk away. Don't ever think your story is over because even the darkest heart can be forgiven and turned into the most glorious light. But how? How does our God do it? Second, because the oppressed blesses the oppressor. Now we need to take a closer look at Tamar. I've said this before, but being the father of three daughters, you're always on the lookout for female role models in the Bible. You know, be like Deborah, wise and courageous. Be like Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, learning from his teachings. Be like Tamar, dressed up as a prostitute and sleep with your father-in-law. You see, this is, at first sight, this is not someone you want to put before your daughters. And absolutely, we don't want to imitate Tamar's actions. But we must indeed imitate her faith. You see, what explains the difference between Tamar and Judah? is this, Judah is walking away from his God. He is giving up on his God and the promises that his God has made, whereas Tamar is walking towards this God. She is embracing and believing the promises of God and pursuing them with all of her heart. Because remember, Judah's God, the Lord of heaven and earth, Had promised Judah's family that through their offspring, through their children, salvation would come to the world. That means if you believe the promises of God in the Old Testament and you're married, you have children. You have as many children as you can. But Judah has given up on those promises, he's given up on children. Think about how he treats his family. In verses 2 to 4, right at the beginning there, when his children are born, the emphasis is all on Judah's wife. Three times we're told, she conceived, she bore a son, she named him. Judah's not involved. Now, Obviously he's involved, I know how babies are made, but he's passive, he's not explicitly involved. And when Ur marries Tamar, Ur fails to produce any children. Now, actually, here is the one right thing that Judah does in this passage. It may have been hidden to us because it doesn't look like a right thing. But he instructs his second son to sleep with Tamar. Now, in the world of the Old Testament, if a son died and left a wife but no children, his brother was expected to marry the widow partly to provide protection and provision for her and partly to produce offspring who would carry on the name of the brother. So yes, it was right that Onan marries Tamar to produce offspring, but Onan does not do that. Verse nine, Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. Onan is utterly selfish. First, he doesn't marry Tamar, he just sleeps with her, uses her for his pleasure, and then when they have sex, he pulls out at just the moment when baby-making happens. I don't think that's a technical phrase, but conception, I think, is the word I'm looking for. He pulls out just before conception happens. Like father, like son. Neither Judah nor his sons care about the promises of God. They do not care about producing offspring. But Tamar is different. She does all she can to provide offspring for Judah. I mean, look at the lengths she goes to. Having been basically entrapped in her father's home, she hears that Judah is back in town. And so she disguises herself as a prostitute. She places herself on the side of the road where Judah is walking and she cleverly demands that Judah leave behind something that would identify him and nine months later she gives birth to two boys. Tamar believes the promises of God. She does all that she can to give Judah offspring, children. Tamar is righteous Not so much because of her actions, don't do that, but because of her faith. Now having said that actually, there is something about her actions that we can imitate. Because she was willing for the world to consider her a disgrace. She was dressed up as a prostitute, back then in those times, she would have been considered a disgrace. Because she was so committed to the promises of God. And I think increasingly in our country and in our time as Christians, we need that kind of faith and that kind of courage. A faith and a courage that means we are willing to be considered a disgrace in the world's eyes because we follow Jesus. The more post-Christian our world becomes, the more likely it is that the world will think Christians are disgraceful just because we hold to the teachings of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Do you have the faith and the courage Of Tamar, Are you willing for the world to think you're a disgrace because you follow Jesus, because you believe his teaching on sex and marriage and gender, because you think the life of the unborn is worth protecting, because you think judgment is coming and hell is real and only Jesus can save us? If you believe those things in the world's eyes, you are a disgrace. That is why we need the courage and the faith of Tamar. It's hard, isn't it? So Tamar believes the promises of God, and she does all she can to ensure that the line of Judah continues, that children are born. And now we come, I think, to one of the most remarkable things about this account, something so incredible that it is almost scandalous. Tamar, the one oppressed by Judah, ends up blessing Judah. Tamar, the innocent one, ends up saving Judah, the guilty one. Think about it. Judah is blessed by Tamar because through Tamar, the Lord brings Judah to his senses so that he repents and turns back to God. More than that, Judah is saved by Tamar because through Tamar, the Lord ensures that Judah has offspring. And it is through the offspring of Judah that Jesus, the savior of the world, comes. Judah is saved from eternal hell by Jesus because the woman he oppressed trusted the Lord and gave him children. The oppressor is blessed by the oppressed. Scandalous, isn't it? But Tamar is honored for what she did. In the family tree of Jesus, right at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, five women, only five women, make it into the list. And Tamar is one of them. And you see why she's honored, don't you? Because she is a picture of how God saves. The oppressors, the unrighteous, the guilty, are saved by the oppressed, the righteous, and the innocent. It's actually what happens in the rest of Joseph's story, isn't it? Joseph, the oppressed one, the righteous and innocent one, blesses and saves his brothers from famine. Joseph, who disguises himself, a little bit like Tamar disguised herself, brings blessing and salvation to those who oppressed him. And of course, it's what happens in the life of Jesus. The better and greater Tamar the distant grandson of Tamar. You see, like Tamar, there is a sense in which Jesus disguised himself. We sing every Christmas, don't we? The carol, Hark the Herald Angels. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Veiled in flesh, disguised in flesh, the Godhead see. Jesus veiled his divinity behind his humanity. Like Tamar, Jesus was oppressed. The crowds demanded Tamar be burned. The crowds demanded that Jesus be crucified. Jesus, the innocent one, the righteous one, is treated like a criminal. And like Tamar, Jesus brought blessing and salvation, not to just one person, but to all and everyone who would turn to him to find it. See, Jesus, the oppressed one, blesses us, the oppressors. Jesus, the innocent one, saves us, the guilty, from judgment and hell. Jesus, the righteous one, redeems us, the unrighteous, that we might know a life of forgiveness and joy in his presence forever. How is it possible to say to the worst of sinners, to someone like Judah, maybe to someone like me, To someone like you, how is it possible to say, no matter how far down your life has spiraled, the story does not have to be over for you? Because our God veiled himself in humanity. Because our God allowed himself to be oppressed by the unrighteous and the guilty in order that he might save and bless us, the oppressors, the unrighteous, and the guilty don't walk away from this. Where would you go? What other narrative, what other meaning or purpose or significance is better than this, than this God? Where would you go if you walked away? And no matter how far down you spiral, the story doesn't have to be over, even for the worst of sinners. Because Jesus, the oppressed, the innocent, the righteous, brings salvation to us, the oppressors, the guilty, the unrighteous. Here is the wonder and the beauty of our God. A moment of quiet, and I'm going to pray.